All right, Philippians 2 is our text this morning. It'll be actually Philippians 4, but we'll look at chapter 2 to begin with. So I invite you to turn there in the Scripture. Philippians 2. I'm going to take a couple more weeks before we get back into our study together of the book of Matthew. Um, And I'm looking forward to that, to be honest. I've been reading and studying the second half of chapter 10 and uh, been excited about what I'm learning and uh, the way I'm growing. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I felt uh, that we should do something else for a couple of weeks. Here we are still sort of at the beginning of the year, and it's a good time to, uh, well, to look back, I guess, and also to look forward, to kind of take stock of where we are, where you are. Maybe you do this at home or, or at work. You look back over the last year, and you see where, where your money ended up going, and uh, you didn't have any idea at the time, but now you realize, okay, that's where all my money went, and now it's time to set a new budget for a new year and make plans and uh, maybe you've set some goals for your life personally for the new year Um, and it's a great time of year and I know a lot of us are doing that and so I wanted to take some time here for a couple of weeks and draw our attention to something that I hope will help us prepare especially with regard to how we're going to use our money for God's glory this next year. I wanted to talk to you about giving to the global mission of God, which is to unite all things together in Jesus Christ, to bring lost men and women out of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, from every tribe and nation and people around the world. And the question that I want to ask myself and my family and put before you is what is your part in that? Particularly, specifically, what is your part financially in terms of giving to that great endeavor, that endeavor that is God's heart and passion for all of human history? So... What are we doing to be a part of that? And so this is a passage that's really, I think, beneficial to us. By the end of the, of the month, I'm going to ask us to make missions-giving commitments. And what I'm looking for is a statement from you individually and then from us as a church as we put it all together this is what I believe that God has enabled me and give, called me to give to the work of global missions through the ministry of North Houston and the mission partners that we have cultivated through the years. This is what I believe the Lord would have me to give so that we as a church can begin to make plans and to hopefully see um, our part in that global mission enlarged beyond what we've been able to do in the past. Um, So that's where we're headed um, the rest of the month of January. And I wanted to start by reminding you of the twofold nature of the Great Commission. Of course, most of us, I say, where is the Great Commission? And you might say a couple of books, but one of the most um, significant 
uh, statements of what we sometimes call the Great Commission is the end of the book of what? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus there gives a commission. A, he sets the mission for His followers, and which becomes a paradigm not just for them, but for all of Christ's followers throughout all of the ages. And so here we are looking back on that mission, and there are two parts to it. It really is one mission, but it has two aspects to it. The, what is the mission? Jesus said, go make what? Go make disciples. Jesus is intent that there would be more followers, learners, citizens of His kingdom, and that that discipleship would be global. He said, go into all of the nations and make disciples. This is what God has in mind from the very beginning. I mean, I'm telling you, before the world began, when God created the world and when He planned out the entire history of redemption, He had in mind that He would save a global people for His Son. That His Son would be high and lifted up and would draw many people to Himself. So God was intent to glorify His Son whom He loved from all eternity past by giving to Him a people who were broken but bought and loved and whose hearts were melted and in love with the Savior. And that only comes by the church of Jesus Christ today carrying out that mission, carrying that message by which God brings that mission to pass around the world in every place, every corner of the globe where we can find humanity. So the mission is to make disciples of all of the nations, but the two aspects of it are these. Remember how he, how he starts. What is, the, what is the initial step of discipleship among the nations? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them. And it begins with baptism. This is the mark of being a child of God baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried together with Christ in the likeness of His death and raised together with Him in newness of life. So that is baptism. But then he says the second part, or the second aspect is this. Teaching them all things that I ever commanded for you. So going through every commandment of the Lord Jesus, who in turn was applying and interpreting and, and pointing to Himself as the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament law and all the, all the commandments and the promises of the Old Testament. The whole Bible needs to be taught to the people of Jesus Christ. So there is bringing them to the point, teaching them to the point where they are willing to be baptized and identify with Jesus, but that is only the beginning. Jesus is concerned not just in simply getting people to commit themselves to Him in saying a prayer or getting baptized, but in growing in holiness and Christ-likeness. That is the Great Commission in all of its fullness. It is that Christ would have a people, not just who name His name, 
but who are obedient to him in every respect. That's evangelism. That's the gospel. There there are two aspects of that Great Commission. And because of that, there are two types of ministry in the world. There are... There, are, there, there is the kind of ministry that was exemplified maybe best by the Apostle Paul, who was the first great evangelist to the nations. Remember when we saw in the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, he originally said, only go to the cities of Israel. But later, he sends his people out all across the globe. And Paul is the great Example of this, the great first forerunner of this, um, the first missionary to the Gentiles. In fact, here's what Paul said. Here was his driving passion. He talked about the fact that he had preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is today modern-day Albania. He preached the gospel from Israel to Albania, and he says, and I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. He had a driving passion to see that mission that God gave his disciples carried forth on the front lines. That was his burden. That is where he went. He said, I'm not going to go back here uh, to these other places primarily. My calling is to go, to go, to go. He had a vision. He wanted to go to the end of the world, which in that day, you know, for, for the Mediterranean, that was Spain. I mean, that was the end of the world. He said, that's where I want to go. I want to get out there. And th- that is part of the, the necessity um, of bringing the Great Commission into, into uh, reality. Because there are still many places today where the true gospel is relatively unknown. We are so blessed in this country, aren't we, with so many ministers and churches and such um, access to the Word of God. But there are places where that is so different. And so the mission continues. And there are modern-day Pauls carrying the gospel out to the jungles and the little towns and the countrysides and the big cities full of thousands and you know, millions of people where is hardly a word for Christ spoken. But there are also ministers like uh, Timothy. So we've got your, you've got your Pauls, but you've also got your Timothys. Now, Timothy traveled with Paul and, and, and the others that went with him. However, perhaps Timothy's most lasting legacy was that he was left to pastor to continue to teach everything that the Lord taught us to the converts, to the saints in the city of Ephesus. There he ministered year after year after year. For three years, we know, according to the Scripture chronology, and then Paul asked him to come and meet with him as he was imprisoned. Um, Tradition actually says that Timothy went back to Ephesus later, even after that, and spent another 30 years ministering in that large metropolitan city of the ancient Roman world. So here's a man who's called to that kind of longevity 
a, a work that just hunkers down in one place and gathers together the people of God and equips them and teaches them and sends them out to live the gospel and to proclaim the gospel everywhere they go. And, and that kind of ministry is necessary too. There are Pauls and there are Timothys. In one of his letters to Timothy, Paul told him, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul told Timothy to devote himself to reading the Scripture, the preaching of the Word, to teaching and exhortation. He said, devote yourself to that, Timothy. And there was something very important that made that kind of single-minded devotion possible for Timothy. And that was, and it has to do with our reciprocal responsibility to the ministry of the Word. Our reciprocal responsibility to the ministry of the Word. Um, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I know I'm taking a while to get to our text. We'll get there. But uh, this is all important background. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul defends his right to receive compensation for ministry. Um, and the truth is that he didn't always accept it. Sometimes he actually refused um, the compensation that people tried to give um, because he was more concerned, as any good minister ought to be, he was more concerned that people receive the gospel for what it is rather than thinking that the gospel is somehow something that's being peddled upon them. And so there were times when he said no, but he also defended the right of ministers to receive uh, compensation uh, in terms of financial um, blessings upon them from the churches that they ministered to. And in fact, he quoted the Old Testament. Remember the Old Testament law that said, while the ox is treading out the, the corn and, and it's working in the fields, you, you don't put a muzzle on it so that it can eat of its own labor. And he says, God was talking about all of, all of those who labor for him, not just the animals, but he, he, he had us in mind. He had those who minister the word, those who preach, that they ought to be able to live by the preaching of the gospel. He says, if we have sown spiritual things in your life, you ought to, we ought to be able to reap um, uh, material things, Right? If we have sown what is greater, we ought to be able to reap at least what is lesser. So, the point of this is to say that the primary ones who are responsible to take care of the ministers of the Word are those who are directly ministered to. Right? He says, if you have received spiritual things, you give back material things, and you bless and encourage and, and enable those ministers to be devoted to those things. And that's the primary responsibility, giving. In other words, our giving in terms of financial support for the ministry of the Word is first and primarily local. But there is, secondly, an extended ministry of giving. And that's what brings us to our text today. There is an extended ministry of giving that reflects, in, in addition, that is, to the, to the primary giving that we do, that reflects the dual um, 
emphases of the Great Commission, both to carry the gospel to the ends of the world as well as to deepen and strengthen the saints in any particular location. Um, So here we are now in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And Paul had ministered in Philippi on several occasions, two or three different times. He'd come through the city and he'd ministered there. He'd gotten into some trouble there. Uh, but he'd but he'd stayed and he preached the word and he'd seen converts. But his calling was frontline evangelism, and so he left the city, and again and again pressed on, 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 always on. And his goal to get to the end of the world. Um, but between Paul and the Philippian church, there was a real deep connection and a really affectionate. Connection. If you've read the book of Philippians, you know what I'm talking about. You see it just in the way he talks to them, and he receives their gifts and their love, and there's just a deep connection that they have together. Their like-mindedness is clear and evident. And um, the occasion of this letter that he writes to the Philippian church is that he hears um, that... Um, or they have heard, rather, that he is in trouble with the um, the officials of the empire, the Roman Empire of the day, and he has been arrested and is being held. And so the Philippian church, who loves this man, they send um, a messenger from their church named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus goes with, perhaps, letters of encouragement from them, um, with personal greetings from the saints in Philippi, but he also comes with some gifts for the apostle. We don't know exactly what those are, but he comes to meet the apostle's material needs, which are great at the time. Uh, You know, we're so used to, uh, uh, you know, our American criminal justice system. The justice system is not always the same in other parts of the world. I was listening to somebody talk this week about um, a prison in Peru, and uh, just a reminder that things are very different in other places. He said, you know, if you are in prison, uh, in some places at least in Peru, um, it's expected that your family and your friends will bring you sustenance, food. I mean, they're not going to give you three meals a day. Um, if you don't have anybody on the outside, then, then you are in a bad place indeed. And that was, you know, that's sort of the place that the Apostle Paul is at this point. He's, he is in prison. He's not being taken care of or pampered. And so they said, you know, we have got to do something. So they send Epaphras all this way, to go, Epaphroditus, to go and uh, to be a blessing to him and to bring him the material things that uh, they have collected for him. And we read in chapter 2, verse 25, Finally now, getting to the Scripture, um, he, he writes back to them and sends the letter back by way of Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he... He was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And of course, it was a you know, much more dangerous thing back in those days to travel. You know, just hop on a plane, and get in a car with all your airbags. You know, it's a dangerous thing. And there was disease and there were, there were robbers and all kinds of things. And he had risked his life to bring this material um, gift to the apostle. And uh, he had been greatly blessed by them. In fact, there was a great partnership. There was a great um, commonality and co-laboring in the ministry of the gospel that Paul had with the church in Philippi. Um, They were partners. In fact, go back to chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. And you see this beautiful model of ministry partnership between a local congregation and a missionary. I thank God, he says, whenever I remember you and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. This church had really come to feel a connectedness, to sense a like-mindedness, and to join together in partnership with this missionary. And, you know, the gospel goes out today still because of missionary partnerships like this all around the world. Those who are ministered to are primarily responsible for those who minister to them. But yet here are missionaries who are called by God to go out into the front lines where there are few converts and few believers who really appreciate the ministry that they're receiving there. And so there is, since there is a lack of appreciation in places where people are not believers yet, there is a lack of appreciation for the gospel, there is no support of the gospel, and it is up to churches like this who see a like-mindedness in this, this brother who is called to this kind of work to connect and to support that kind of work. This is an extended ministry of giving that we have the privilege of having as a church, just like the Philippians. It is a joy to support the progress of the gospel in places that have so much less Christian witness than Houston, Texas. We support a brother named Eric and his family who were here a few weeks ago as they preach the gospel to one after another in North Africa. Men and women who were ensnared by the darkness of Islam, but who are coming to the light of Jesus Christ. They're being delivered out of darkness into a saving relationship with God through Jesus. It is a joy to support people like the Bixby's planting a church in northern France 
that there may be a gospel center there in a country that has by and large passed, let Christianity pass them by and have turned their back on it, to support people like Brother Edgar who travel all over the Middle East and get into places where few American Christians have such ready access to and to see Christian churches started and training centers and radio stations and Bible translation or to support men like Brother Pate who we saw a few months back who is headed to Brazil to train poor pastors out in the countrysides of Brazil so that they in turn might be better equipped to strengthen and train the believers in their local areas. You know, we're having that kind of extended ministry in places where the gospel isn't as appreciated as we have come to appreciate it. This is a something that the church has been doing for these thousands of years now, and we're still a, we're a part of this great work. I'm going to encourage you and invite you to be a part of this. Paul rejoiced at receiving the Philippians' gifts. And in his expression of appreciation over their gifts to him, he describes those gifts in ways that have just really encouraged my heart. There are four descriptions that Paul gives of the gifts that he has received in chapter 4. And I want us to look at those and see in those a description of our gifts to the mission of global evangelism. Chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. This is our main text this morning. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians yourselves, Know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The church had sent him at least three gifts then that we know about, the two before, and then this gift and perhaps some others as well. Um, and there is great encouragement by the way he describes these gifts in four ways. First, 
he describes this gift as an expression of Christian love. You see that very clearly in verse 10. You'll take a note. He says, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to express that concern, but now you have taken it. Our giving, our giving to mission, our giving to missionaries is first an expression of Christian love. And that is a characteristic, defining attitude of Christian people. They have love for each other. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have what? You have love for each other. There is a a burning affection that Christians have in their hearts for other Christians. And especially when they see other Christians involved in the work of the ministry and the communication of the gospel which has become so dear to them when they see other Christians exulting in the Christ who has become so precious to them you know as well as I do there is a there is a a burning in your soul when you experience that kind of communion with other brothers and sisters and and you just want to do what you can to bless them not because you know you ought to though you ought to but because you, you share something deeply in common with them that it brings you such great joy. And so Christians have often been characterized by their sacrificial giving to one another as an expression of their love. In 1 John, there are three marks of being a true Christian. One of them is doctrinal. John says, if, if someone claims to belong to God but denies the basic fundamental Christian doctrines, he doesn't belong to Christ. But he said the other two are practical evidences of someone's being truly belonging to God. And one of them is holiness, that he is obedient to Jesus Christ. He says no one that says he's a Christian and goes on deliberately living in sin belongs to God. He's, he's a fool. But he says, secondly, you also know a Christian because he loves the people of God. There is a deep connection that he has with the people of God. And that is an evidence that he belongs to the Lord. And that is what the Philippians had with Paul. They had this love and concern for him and for the calling that he had. And, and, and not, just a, not just an emotional connection, but... Um, in fact, the word here, the word for concern, is a word that indicates um, that someone's on your mind. They were on, he was on their minds. They thought about him. They prayed for him. They were engaged mentally in, in what was going on as well as emotionally. They, he was never out of their thoughts. That was the idea. And, and that, boy, if, if, if a missionary could have partners in that calling who were like that, who had him or her in their thoughts as well as in their hearts. What a fruitful partnership that could prove to be. 
such as the relationship between Paul and this ancient church. And it brings glory to God when Christians then pay attention to one another, when we are in one another's hearts and minds, when our hearts are knit together and we give selflessly to one another, when we willingly part with what we have so that another can be blessed. That is a glory to God and to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So love, church, love the ministers of Christ because you love the Christ of the ministers. Love those who are called to carry the gospel to the ends of the world because that is the heartbeat of your God. Let them be in your mind. Don't quickly forget those whom you have met and those whom we have partnered with who, who, who are giving their lives to this great calling. Part of the way that we keep them in our minds is by communication, by listening to them, by hearing about the work that God has given them to do. That's one of the reasons why we like to have missionary partners come through and and remind us of what God is doing in their lives and in the lives of those that they're ministering to. Um, This is why every fourth Wednesday night in our prayer meetings, I will take out the correspondence that we get from our missionaries and we'll just unfold that and and, and hear about their lives and spend time interceding for them before the Lord because we want them in our minds our con- that our concern for them is not lost. This is the relationship that Paul had with the church and, and, and that, that giving then was an expression of that concern and that love that they had. But more than just love, it was also an experience of the communion of the saints. Their selfless giving to Him was an experience of the communion of the saints. You know what the word communion means? Sometimes we we use the word fellowship. We say we're going to fellowship together. And, you know, for for a lot of us modern Christians, fellowship just means we're going to get together and hang out. And that's, you know, necessary for fellowship, but it's not fellowship. Fellowship, the the root word of the word fellowship is a word that means something that you share in common. You you share it in common. Um, You've heard the word koinonia, probably, the Greek word for fellowship. Um, The idea of having something that you share in common that is very deeply rooted in you. And so when Christians get together and they share surface things together that everybody that they share in common with a lot of unbelievers, that's, that's okay, nothing wrong with that. But fellowship happens when they move to a level that they share in common with those believers that they don't share in common with unbelievers. That's Christian fellowship. And they begin to speak from their heart or pray together or selflessly give to each other. This becomes, in this case, this, he said this is an expression of Christian communion, that commonality that we have together. In fact, if you look at verse 14, it's translated in the word share. It's the same word. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Think about that. What are they sharing in this case? 
They're not just sharing salvation. They're sharing trouble. There is a deep Christian communion in bearing one another's burdens in the name of Christ. I mean, a kind of communion that you may be missing out on with some of God's people. A sharing of that trouble. And it's, you know, it's not always easy to share someone's, to enter into the experience of someone else's trouble any more than it is easy to go through the trouble in the first place. But there is a deep-seated joy in sharing that in common with them and speaking um, words and and doing actions of of kindness and, and mercy because we're all together in this. And that's the way they thought about Paul. He is in trouble and their hearts were moved because they realized they were connected. I mean, literally, spiritually, mystically connected to each other by the soul. There's like a string from their soul to his. That's the way it was. The same word is used in verse 15, the same basic word. He talks about your partnership with me your fellowship with me, or in chapter 1, verse 5, when he talked about your partnership in the gospel, or in chapter 1, verse 7, when he talked about the fact that they were partakers <coughs> partakers with me of grace. In other words, they weren't just sharing something with him, like their money. They were sharing with him in something else, namely grace. And that's fundamental to this, okay? Are you tracking with me? They shared together, mutually side by side, they shared in something else, which is God's grace in Christ. And because they both shared in something else, they shared with each other. There was a commonality horizontally because there was a commonality vertically. That is what we mean by the communion of saints. It's not just horizontal, it's horizontal because we are all united to Jesus Christ. And if you're a part of Christ, and I'm a part of Christ, then we are, and Christ is one, then we are a part of one another. You can't divide Christ up. You can't cut off an arm over here and a leg over there. It's all connected to the one living Christ. And if we are connected to the one living Christ, we are vitally, livingly connected to each other. And with, and frankly, with everybody who belongs to Jesus Christ. And so there is a sense of that um, commonality that finds expression in the willing sharing of even our possessions. And that is what the church did with Paul. They recognized that they were both branches in one vine, that they were both members of one body, that there was a new humanity in Christ, that the Bible says, you know, we are crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live, yet not I, Paul says, but Christ lives in me, and Christ was living in him, and Christ was living in them, and because he was living in both, there was a commonality that they experienced, there was And one of the greatest manifestations of that common life was that they were willing to share their goods with each other. And they did. This is the love of Christ 
And when we have felt that love of Christ through other people, have you ever felt that, by the way? Felt the love of Jesus Christ reaching out to you through the hands and the feet and the mouth and the money of some other of His people? Like, like it wasn't just them doing something nice for you, but it was Jesus loving you through them? That's what Jesus is doing through the Philippians for Paul. And you know what that does? That makes people get on their knees and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Not just thank you, church, Philippian church, but praise you, Jesus. You are so good. That is worth giving for. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that when they gave the gift to the poor churches in Jerusalem, that it would, quote, not only supply the needs of the saints, but also overflow in many thanksgivings to God. The, the, the poor churches in Jerusalem would get on their knees and say, God, you're good. Because God is at the very center of that because of the communion of saints in Jesus Christ. It is the sharing of our common life in Jesus Christ. And giving is an expression of that. And because of our union with Him, our mission giving, because of our communion in Christ, our mission giving is also, thirdly, a vicarious fruit-bearing activity. A vicarious fruit-bearing activity. You know what vicarious means? You are familiar enough with the gospel. That's one of the important words of the gospel. Something that is vicarious is something that, that someone else does it, but it's, it's as if you did it. Here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 17. Take a look and note it again. 4.17, Paul says to the Philippians, it's not that I seek the gift. That's not primarily why I'm joyful. Although he certainly is blessed by the gift. But his greatest joy was this, that I seek the fruit that increases what? To your credit. I want fruit to be amassed to your account, Philippian church. He's not talking about their fruit, that they're giving itself as being fruit, but rather the fruit of the mission work that he's doing. The salvation of the lost, the starting of churches, that that would be to their credit. Because they were united with Him in love and in prayer and in giving. It is an amazing thing to be so interconnected as the body of Christ. And I'm only now beginning to feel the wonder of it and to sense it more keenly in my prayers for the people of God. There, because of, but, but here, here, what he's saying here, and don't miss this, is that because of the interconnectedness of the people of God, because of the communion of saints and their partnership with Him in love and prayer and giving of their gifts, because of that connection, His fruit was their fruit. It was credited, as it were, to their account. Just in, in a similar way to the way that Christ's righteousness is credited to us, 
Only Paul's is not a saving righteousness by any means, for it is not a righteousness that is perfect. But his fruit would be a credit to their account. I wonder what fruit you have borne and I have borne for the glory of Christ. When our fruit is presented before God for the glory of God the Father and the glory of His Son, what fruit have we borne? Whom have we led to Christ? What churches have we started? What saints have we taught? By God's grace, each of us bears fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But have you ever considered that perhaps your greatest fruitfulness for God in the entirety of your life may come in connection with missionaries, your partnership with them, your common life lived out together with them, expressed in your prayers and in your giving. Have you ever thought about that? Fruit to your account for the eternal glory of God. So it's not presumption to say that the conversion of Abdu in North Africa this past year may be in some small measure the fruit of some of us. Amen? What a joy. I say in a small part, none of us, you know, no one is receives the greater degree of glory. That is Christ alone. Uh, and and it's, it, it's all His glory because He works in us and through us. But we, he, he wishes to work through us in a way that fruit is somehow credited to us. What, a, what an amazing thing it is to think of the establishment of a Christian gospel radio station proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ 24 hours a day in Mosul, Iraq, is in some small way fruit that may be credited to our account. Or that the planting of a church in the hills of Sonora, Mexico, where there was no Protestant gospel witness, is somehow fruit that is credited to our account. If you... Brother, sister, if you're giving to these causes with a heart for the glory of Jesus Christ, fruit that bears to your account, well done. So what does he say about these gifts that are so encouraging? He says, it is an expression of your love and concern. It is an experience of the communion that we, sh- that we have together. It is vicarious, fruit-bearing, credited to your account, and it is, finally, a fragrant offering to the Lord. Notice how he says it. I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He describes them as a fragrant offering, not primarily to him, Though these gifts were offered to him, he says it was an offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, 
And that is true. When we offer up our prayers to God on behalf of these missionaries, behalf of those whom they're, to whom they're ministering, when we write our missions check in the, in the beginning of the month and we put it in that offering plate and we pray that God would bless it and further the glories of Jesus Christ around the world, when we do that, we are offering up ourselves to God Himself. We're offering these things. Like in the Old Testament, they took that animal and they burnt that whole burnt offering as a symbol of consecration to the Lord. Our gifts say, here, Lord, here I am. Take my life, take my money, take everything. It belongs to you. I love you. I want Christ to be magnified. And the missionaries on the field receive our gifts and they say, God, thank you. You are so good. You take care of every need that we have. And God is glorified here and God is glorified there. And this is what we're made for. It is an offering up to God Himself that he says, look at the way he says it, it is acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I don't know what they sent. You know, think about it. What did he need? A coat? Some food? A little bit of coin? A mattress of some sort? A mat to roll out on the floor? I don't know what they sent. But you can just imagine, you know, we give what we have, and, and none of us feels like it's, it's enough or maybe it's some, anything spectacular. But here's the point. He said that when they did it, and they did it out of genuine love and concern for the glory of God, in, a, in the experience of the communion of saints and for the, for the furtherance of the God, when they did it like that, it was pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. Now, think about that. Do you want to please God? You know, sometimes we talk about our depravity, and I understand, I get it. We talk about our depravity, that we are so bad. And what we mean is, by nature, I mean, apart from God's grace, we are so bad that there is nothing in us that's good before God. There is in my flesh no good thing. It is irredeemable. There is no doubt about that. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible's clear. But when God's grace begins to do a work in us, God brings us into such a place that even our feeble, frail, inconsistent attempts at obedience, He doesn't look at it and say, like a parent to a child and say, you know, the kid brings him a little sketch and he, or he tries to, you know, he tries to bake. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bake something special for mom and dad. I really want to please them. And he messes up the kitchen, right? And he, and he gets, you know, crumbs all over the floor. And it's kind of lumpy. And, you know, you take a bite of the pancake and there's, there's dough half in it still. And, and you know, what, what do you do as a parent? You say, why couldn't you do this any better? Come on, get your act together. I, I could have done this way better myself. We don't do that to our children. We say, oh, thank you. We love it. This is pleasing to me. I want to tell you, that's, the Lord uses language like that. He, does, he loves it when His children give for His glory. It is acceptable to Him. And it's, you know, it's inconsistent, and our, our little service for Him is so meager, and it's all of His grace. But he says, 
Well done, child. Well done. I'm happy with that. And I, I want the Lord, I, I know you do too, you want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Please God. The greatest missionary of all time was the Son of God, wasn't he? Because he left and traveled the greatest distance, a distance that is unfathomable to us, to unite holy God with sinful man. He traveled a distance. He was the greatest example of faithfulness on the field. Think of the best missionary you know. is so inconsistent. But he was absolutely faithful to the very end in everything that the Lord called him to. He made the greatest missionary sacrifice of any man who has ever lived. He demonstrated the greatest love that any missionary has ever demonstrated when he laid down his life on the cross so that you and I might be saved, that we might be reconciled to God, that God could look at us through Jesus Christ and say, well done, good and faithful servant. In you I am well pleased. He, by his sacrificial love, laying his life down as the greatest missionary, made that possible for you and for me. He had the greatest effectiveness in his calling. He was the most effective missionary ever. He laid down his life and he sent his spirit and he brought conviction and he is bringing a people to himself. And today he's sending out followers to continue that same global mission of reconciling men to God. And he's calling on you to be a part of that, to be connected to that mission that is so much a part of his heart. You join. Say, Lord, I'll do it. That's my heart too. Use me. Would you pray with me now? Oh, Lord, it is... A, a mission that is so much a part of your plan, your whole intent to unite all things together in Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would give us a heart that is lifted up enough to be a part of that sincerely and earnestly. Lord, give us a vision for that global mission that you have. And Lord, please unite our hearts with others with whom we can partner and share in that work as fellow laborers. Lord, that, that we might give in a way that pleases you, that we may have fruit that accrues to our account for your eternal glory. Lord, work on our hearts now. Show us, Lord, what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond each of us in, in light of this mission and, and what you have given to us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.